You know, one of the most exciting things about working with Gun.io is I get to work with some of the most important consumer brands and fitness brands and enterprise brands. And what you find is that they're all looking for the very best talent and they're competing for it. And one thing I tell clients all the time is that, hey, you know, if you can develop um, the mindset to, to hire remote freelance engineers, what you're going to find is that it opens up the pool of available talent because you're not going to have to fight over the same group of FTEs from all the other companies in your space. And so now what we can do is bring you a cohort of people that other companies aren't competing with you against. And it's really a competitive advantage to take stock of that and find some excellent people you can bring on board. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Jason, hey, thanks for joining us. Good to have you on today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Would you mind just giving a, a little background story, a couple minutes about uh, yourself and your work, you know, so the audience can get to know you a little bit? Sure. Uh, I'm currently the founder and CEO of CitySourced. Um, we provide software for local government agencies to connect uh, back office systems with citizens. Uh, um, we kind of created the pothole app, uh, so to speak, way back in the day, uh, back in 2009 on stage at TechCrunch. Um, I got my start in technology way back in 1997 after graduating UCLA. Uh, I started out as a web designer, um, and this was back when you know, all your design was done with tables and there, was, there wasn't really any CSS or anything like that. So uh, it's it's great to have been in a space so long where uh, you've seen such a dramatic evolution and and change. Uh, you know, it's it's at the same time, it's much easier to start companies and write software now. But, you know, there's a lot more competition. There's a lot more stuff out there. So it's just... Uh, in general, it's a great, great yeah, space to be yeah. in. So you I've you can remember when you co-load bare metal and when JavaScript was a total pile of garbage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I ran a hosting business. I ran a hosting Me business. Me too. I think we day, all did. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was just the thing to do, right? Around <laughs> June 2000, it was hot. Um, yeah. You know, and JavaScript used to be a total pile of garbage and now it's the most, uh, you know, popular, important language in the world. So you just never yeah. know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about civic software. I mean, uh, gosh, Pearl. selling to government. Yeah, that's, that's a peach. Uh, been there, done that. And I, we know a lot of people that want to make government better and entrepreneurs that you know are interested in upgrading the technology of the government. I bet you can tell some stories about that distribution process. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, selling to local government, the government software, well, the, the IT space for local government is a $60 billion a year industry. So, you know, that includes software and hardware. Um, it's not surprising that a lot of the folks we deal with still have on-premise software solutions. Um, you're starting to see a migration to the cloud. Um, we do occasionally get requests of whether or not we, you know, we support our own software on premise and the answer there is typically no. Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting in the sense that we're from a procurement standpoint, right? That's, that's where a lot of people push back and say, Oh my gosh, selling to government is so hard. 
and it is. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you guys, your 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 listeners, and say that it's not. It is di- more difficult than you know selling a, a ten dollar service that you sign up for freemium model type of scenario. Um, but you uh, the the added benefit is your churn is very very low. So once you get get a customer, once you've acquired um, acquired one. Uh, they tend not to leave uh, so long as you can, you know, fulfill the service and make them make them happy. Um, our churn rate, I think our trailing 12 month churn is like 99.6%, something like that. So right. we retain like 99.6% of our customers, um, you know, very, very little churn over the, over the long, uh, the long haul and, um, you know, our sales cycle. Yeah, all, the, all the SaaS founders are like, you know, hey, 0.4% churn, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to have that. Right, yeah. right. Um, you're right. And that procurement thing is such a big deal, you know, that, uh, I mean, you probably have to wade through, you know, sort of RFPs and different things. Are, are you yeah. able to leverage the existing relationships, you know, where you can say, hey, I, I know from my experience selling to states that, you know, it was really much, much better once you had one or two because then you were at the table and it was, it, it got easier and easier to win, you know, when you had, oh, when sure. you had those proof cases uh, because everybody wants to yeah, have reference, that experience. Yeah, definitely. Reference customers are important. Um, it is a small community. Um, there's a lot of kind of conferences specific to you know, GovTech or the pub sector. Uh, you've got like NACO, the national association of counties. You've got, you know, ICMA, you know, International City Managers Association. So you've got these like, you know, little groups of these pockets of of uh, kind of constituents that all have, you know, all share similar titles and they, you know, they share stories and best practices. So having reference customers is very, very important. Um, you know, and have at the end of the day, having a quality product is, you know, you know can't really run anything without without that. You know, folks are going to see through that very, very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's quite a bit of scale that would go into, you know, such a thing. Uh, yeah, tell the story a little bit of, I mean, you know, how and why and you jumped into this and, uh, you know, what what's the story been like, you know, scaling up and, you know, all that business. So we started out, it's actually, it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, I started City Sourced as a side project. Um, the initial business that I wanted to start was essentially grassroots, um, activism. So I, I, I did a three-year stint at MySpace. I was a contractor consultant for them for three years, um, built out their, uh, IM client with a small team and, uh, later just transitioned to just some general products within, within MySpace. But having been in that environment and seeing the power of the social network, um, I was super into politics, uh, local politics, um, you know, listening to, you know, talk radio on my way to work, uh, et cetera. So I wanted to build a social network that uh, was strictly geared towards politics. I wanted it to be nonpartisan. So that's what I did. I built out a, a, a nonpartisan political social network where folks could, you know, discuss issues and, um, I feel like people were a little more civil back then. Um, this is, uh, this is back in 2008, uh, 2007, 2008. So, uh, it's now progressed into just a full on flame war on Facebook, but you know, back then it was still, it was still fun, you know, and 
we actually what I had done, no one else had done ever. Um, it was, uh, you could always go online and find like your, your federal representative, your, your <laughs> congressman, your senator, etc. You know, you could go to the state website and find your assemblyman, but to find everybody in one spot was difficult. So that's what I did. I, I went through and scraped every single politician on the state, on the local, state, and federal level, and put them all into a single database, and then essentially wrapped, you know, geo geocoding services around it. Um, so you could enter your address, and we could figure out who your councilman was, your mayor, all the way up the chain to president, um, who at the time I think was George Bush. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, so- and, and, you know, people are people are some maybe listening. Some of our our younger listeners I mean, like, big deal, man. You know, every site has that. But I mean, this was a tremendous yeah. undertaking at that time. Yeah, we had a, we had about sixty thousand politicians in our database. It was the largest one that I had found or knew about um, out there. I mean, there were no and- no APIs even. No, no, yeah, I mean, no, nothing. Not yeah, yeah. There was. This is a. Uh, it's not that long ago, but it's amazing how much we have progressed, but yeah, there was nothing like this. So I had, so that was my product. I, you know, you came to the site, we would tell you who, who represented you and we offered kind of some form letters that you could write out and um, check the box. I want to send this to, you know, my mayor, my councilman, all the way up, you know, you could check them all. Um, You could share that with your friends. And so they could come and sign on to your letter and send it to their reps. It was kind of this, this, you know, we, thought about kind of that viral interaction. Um, we actually got a couple um, politicians to send us like cease and desist letters because we were sending them so many, because we actually used e-fax at the time, which was a great, uh, you know, kind of an old school hack of, you know, f- flooding their fax machine with just printing <laughs> out, you know, these letters of, of uh, folks wanting to do whatever it is they wanted to do. So we would get faxes back saying, please stop. You know, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but out of that, we had, so I had this database of 60,000 politicians. It was right around when the iPhone was like, had just come out and I, and I wanted to build an iPhone app. I didn't want to just, you know, build a game or something like that. I had this asset that I wanted to leverage. So, uh, the story is, uh, that how could I leverage this, this database? I thought, "Mm, you know, I, there's stuff all around my neighborhood, why don't I just snap a photo of it? I'll use the GPS on the phone and we'll just send it to the politician. You know, he's the one that's responsible. Well, lo and behold, the politician is not responsible for that. He, you know, he makes law, he or she makes laws and, and legislates, but it's actually like a city manager or a department of public works that does that. I didn't know that at the time, but whatever, I was just, you know, I was, I had this large database and I wanted to go do something. So, that's what I did. And I created a proof of concept uh, iPhone app. Um, I went on stage at TechCrunch 50 in 2009, September 15th, 2009, uh, presented and um, ended up getting some pretty good accolades from the crowd. You know, we were kind of this unknown. I I actually got in because my my childhood friend is the executive producer of the show and I showed him the app at a party and he's like, Oh my gosh, you got to get this into the show. Uh, so, you know, we, we only had three weeks to prepare. It was, it was kind of this whirlwind of like everything happening correctly at the, at the right time. And, and, uh, that's how we launched city sourced. So 
it was a lot of fun. And so how, how's it evolved since since then? That's, oh, man. Even that is a long, long time. You got 10 years there. Yeah, so, that was a long time um, ago. Uh, <laughs> what have you, gosh, what have you done and what have you learned? And, you know, um, I don't know, assumptions that were amazing and assumptions that were not, you know, those are some of the best stories. So, the you know, the big assumption early on was that politicians were the ones that mattered um, when in fact <laughs> they they don't when it comes to both buying, you know, a buying decision, you know, so if you're selling a product, they weren't the ones making the buy decision. Sometimes they were, but that could actually backfire on you. Um, we had a couple instances where our product was procured by a councilman and then that councilman lost his seat. And because there was no other champion within the organization, especially in the back office, you know, public works, IT, you know, communications, et cetera, like we lost, um, we lost the contract. Um, so that was an interesting uh, learning that we actually learned that very early on was that we needed to be uh, embedded in uh, the organization, the you know, kind of the city infrastructure, so to speak, or the, all the various departments, we need to be embedded in those other departments and find champions in those spaces, um, early on. So, uh, it was, so from a sales cycle standpoint, you know, I mentioned earlier the procurement, you know, process, you know, a lot of, we'd go to hit up VCs for, for money, for capital to, to grow the business. And they, you know, they, first thing you say is we work in government and they'd be like, ah, yeah, not interested. Uh, so, which is interesting because there's a lot of money spent on IT and software in government. The sale, they just didn't like the sales cycle. Um, they thought, oh, it's going to take you 18 months to get a, a sale. And um, actually, initially, the sales cycle was only about two to three months. It wasn't that long. Now, as we pushed up market, um, you know, kind of made our product a little bit uh, more more robust, more enterprise, as we would say, um, the sales cycles have gone up. Um, they've, they've, I think our average is about, you know, anywhere from three to six months now. So it's gone up a little bit, but, um, those sales cycles are, uh, you know, anything from RFPs to, you know, just forging relationships from, you know, going to trade shows, et cetera. So, um, that was something we learned early on, you know, we're, the market or not the market, the, the, the money guys, the institutional money guys, the VCs, they were telling us one thing, but we weren't seeing that in, in reality. And I think their experience in public sector was, was, you know, it, and it still is for you take a seven figure project, like an, you know, a massive ERP implementation. That's eight, you know, $10 million, $2 million. I think LA implemented a CRM, a few years back and it was $16 million. Like that is going to take 18 months, 18 to 24 months. Like there's just a lot of hoops you got to jump through, but for software that, you know, our average contracts, 25,000 a year. So for that, you know, a lot of times you fall below a RFP threshold, you fall below certain things and that all varies from, you know, there is no standard RFP threshold. Every city has their own, every city has their own legislative process for it. Um, which I thought was, was really interesting as well. Like you, there, <laughs> we would get an RFP, we would respond. And as part of the response, they would want us to um, 
first of all, you'd have to print out the RFP five times, stick it in five separate envelopes. And then the digital version was a, you'd have to put the files on a CD-ROM and put that in the envelope as well. So Right, which had to be Word files. You know, right? yeah. <laughs> yes. So I've yes. done this. Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm smiling because, <laughs> yes, I've been through this, uh, you know, print out a truckload of binders to, to yep. bring them up. Down. Lots of trips to Kinko's and, <laughs> and uh, the UPS store. So, but, it, you know, it pays off. You, you win a deal, you get that customer. I think our average, you know, our average lifetime of a customer is like seven right. or eight sure. years. And how so, has the, the product evolved? You know, I mean, we talked about the, the pothole app and there's a, you can, but you can request a sure. lot of different uh, services and needs, right? Through, through the application. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So we went really deep on this. It's called service requests um, in, in the space. That's what they, they generalize it as. And sometimes referred to as three, one, one for those cities that do have an actual number. So it's think of it as nine, one, one for non-emergency issues. Um, uh, and, so we went pretty deep on that, you know, creating workflows around, you know, what happens if, you know, something stays in a status, you know, a certain number of period, well, you got to escalate it up and, you know, do all sorts of stuff. Um, we also built out our stable of back office integrations. So a lot of, you know, cities run on various software, things like CityWorks, you know, Lucidity, Excella, um, things to help them manage their assets. Um, ideally they're called, you know, these things are called asset management systems. So, um, you know, where is my, where are all my fire hydrants? You know, where are all my streetlights, you know, all these things. So no one ever cares about it. I don't stuff that stuff that it doesn't none matter. Of us ever think about. So what but we've yeah, done is matters, we've, right. You know, what, yeah. essentially yeah. what we've done is we've, we've taken the request on the citizen side, associated with an asset on the city side created a service request, sometimes creating work orders. It kind of depends on the system. But then once that data is in that back office system, we then continue to follow it um, and then update the citizen when updates are made in that back office system. Um, so we don't disrupt the workflow of the, of the city worker which is ideal. There's no training involved. Well, they just and, and that's, to, that's critical for anybody not paying critical. attention to that. Like, I mean, that, <laughs> that adoption process and that works for and ought to work for any industry. Right. So if you're trying to approach yeah. somebody, do not screw up their workflow, you know, find a way to make your thing plug in, you know, exactly. And that was not, exactly. that was not common knowledge. It still isn't common knowledge. And, and it ought to be because, you know, software fails because of adoption, not because of features. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's very important in the public sector. Most of the workers are union. A lot of them have labor contracts that, you know, for better or worse, say that they're not, you know, required to learn new software. They're not required to learn new practices. They get trained on a certain piece of software and, you know, for all intents and purposes, they expect that software to be somewhat the same throughout a long period of time. We actually would for, get for 35 so we, you know, years as a startup. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, let's iterate. Let's, let's, you know, let's build and yeah. do, you know, push out product all the time. And we would actually get pushback from our customers saying, Hey, you guys uh, just pushed out a new release. You know, the button went from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen. I now have to train 300 of my call center guys that the button moved. And we're like, well, the button just moved. Like, what? Can't you just tell them, hey, the button's not there; it's over here. And they're like, no, no, we have like very kind of rigid, 
you know, structured training processes. These folks are, you know, they're like, they're just clicking away, you know, a hundred miles an hour. And if you move something, all of a sudden they're, they're like, what do I do? You know? So it's, uh, you get pushback when you, when you try to, you know, iterate and be startup-y. Yeah. Yes. They don't, <laughs> no, we, so we, we now consider ourselves enterprise software. We yeah. have longer release cycles. Um, we communicate what those, you know, what those changes are going to be, you know, well in advance, um, sure. you know, offer training, etc. So it's a, uh, it's a much different process than, you know, you wake up one day and your Facebook feeds totally different. Everyone complains, but then they go back to normal. That that doesn't happen in our business. We would get we'd get obliterated. It's really interesting. Yeah. Did you um, yeah. did you end up going down the direction at all of uh, you talked about taxonomies for you know sort of the politicians and such for your original project? I wonder have you have you come to any sort of common data models or, or taxonomies around trying to integrate all the asset management systems if you have to communicate with different ones. We have, and we've, what we've done there is we've, abstr- we've abstracted on our part, um, what we call an integration layer. So, uh, being able to, and the, the primary problem that you're solving there is, is a data mapping problem. So we have a data model, they have a data model. How do you map variable to variable, um, in a way that scales? So I think to date we've done, I want to say like 70 integrations on the back end. So, you know, a lot, and a lot of those systems are the same. We do a lot of CityWorks integrations. We do a lot of Lucidity integrations. Um, but there's also a lot of other smaller back office systems like, you know, maintenance connection, for instance, or something like that. Um, every single one of their data models are, are different. Um, so what we do is um, when we build an integration connector, we leverage a lot of the same code to do the mappings. Obviously, you know, if it's some of them are using web services, you know, SOAP. Um, some are using REST. Some are using JSON. Some are using XML. So we do need to, you know, we have a library of existing code that we can kind of copy from, at least from a template standpoint. And then once we have that integration up and running, um, we can support f- future versions Um within the software, but the, the primary problem that we were came into was uh, variable mapping, especially with systems that are highly configurable. Um, you think of a Salesforce where you can add custom fields and data validation on X, Y, and Z, you know, you, you know, you, you kind of learn to adapt to that. And so we've built out uh, a fairly robust model that supports all that stuff on our back end, So we can plug in, you know, cause we don't want to write a Salesforce integration custom every single time yeah um so we don't um we've developed code to where we can kind of every configure time, right? our own system to adapt yeah. to their system essentially is what we're doing right right and that's that's another critical yeah. point that you know any any founder should take take seriously that there's you know there's even when there's data standards there's a lot of versions oh of yeah data i mean standards, i think you know? so i mean we see this in healthcare all yeah. the time you know it, it may be hl7 but which hl7 <laughs> right. And, you know, particularly government likes to have different versions of everything. So, uh, excellent. Excellent. Great, great learnings and great story. So, so what's, uh, put on your, your dreamer hat again and, you know, you know, what's, what's next. So we've made, we've, we've actually started positioning and developing IP around the notion of a single 
uh, master application for your city. Um, so going beyond service requests, and we've already started to make strides in this in this uh, area. Um, we don't we don't believe that a kind of one off single use application is really all that interesting. Uh, simply pull out your phone, report a service request. Like that's not, I don't, that's, that's great. It works. But you know, for us, I want to be able to do everything with my city on my app. So whether it's, I want to renew my dog license and I snap the photo of my dog, enter in its breed and color and all this stuff. And then when maybe my dog gets lost, I can send an alert and that goes out to my, you know, my neighbors, it alerts the animal services department. Um, Things like, you know, uh, uh, d- disaster management, you know, and earth- we're in L.A., we get earthquakes. You can do a, uh, you know, all sorts of applications that you really don't think about until you need them. And really, that's the uh, um, the key is that we, we see the phone as the communication channel between the city and you. So if there's an amber alert, if there's a road closure if, um, you know, if, if there's a new farmer's market opening up, you know, you, you're going to use your phone to interact with that. And there's all sorts of stuff the city can do to incentivize you to do that, to download the app and to engage, right? They may engage local businesses. If they're trying to drive downtown business, they may say, download the app. We'll give you a free bus ride and a $5 voucher for the yogurt shop, you know, whatever, like all through the app, you know, one 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 stop does it all like in la i think there's 26 last time i heard there were 26 different apps to do various things um they even had one app just for streetlight reports so it wasn't even they may have upgraded that since but when we first looked at it every department had their app um there was no kind of mobile digital strategy so what what we'd like to do in our big dream is to have a single app that facilitates every transaction the citizen has with um, local government, parking, um, you know, feeding meters, paying parking tickets, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, unlocking the tennis court. If you, you know, if you really want to get like, (laughs) you know, into the, the wow stuff, you use your phone with like, you know, smart locks to pay for, tennis court unlock the court you know or if it's like a bike or something bike sharing apps um all that stuff i already want it <laughs> i'm having trouble with some water things you know i would really like those people to pick the phone up so i hope i hope you get fairview tennessee someday so <laughs> but jason uh, this is awesome you know great great stories uh, i love hearing it and you know thanks so much for joining us i know um, the audience is gonna take a lot away from it yeah thanks for having me i, I really enjoyed it Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.